Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and I'm so excited to be back with you as we launch this inaugural show. Some of you may remember my previous podcast, The Going Digital Show, and I want to thank everyone that listened and offered support along the way. This next chapter brings me to the launch of the Reimagined Schools podcast with a focus on best practices in education, innovation in the classroom, and most importantly, how to create better schools for kids. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast as our guest list will include many of the nation's top educators and school leaders. In this first episode, I have the chance to catch up with my friend, Ted Dinnersmith, one of the nation's leading voices in innovation and education. Ted is the executive producer of the Most Likely to Succeed documentary and the author of a new book entitled, What School Could Be, Insights and Inspiration from Teachers Across America. Thanks for listening, and let's keep the conversation going as we reimagine schools. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Reimagined Schools podcast. It is a tremendous honor today to have with us one of the nation's leading voices on innovation and education, Mr. Ted Dinnersmith. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. And where are you at today? I'm in a little bit snowy uh, central Virginia. We live outside of Charlottesville, so we are, um, and I'm actually home, which is rare for me, but uh, that's where I am, but I leave in about an hour and a half, so I'm on the road again soon. And most people are familiar with your work with the Most Likely to Succeed book and film, uh, which, as we all know, was a game changer in how we think about creating better schools for kids. Uh, and literally, you're looking at the next chapter in your life, both professionally and personally, with your new book that's getting ready to come out. And the name of the book is What School Can Be, Insights and Inspiration from Teachers Across America. And the book comes out on April 10th of 2018. You can pre-order the book now at the website, whatschoolcouldbe.org. So congratulations on the new book and tell us about it. Sure. Well, you know, I, I took on this, you know, a bit ambitious, maybe a little bit crazy trip in 2015 and 16, that school year. And I went to every single state. And it was really just sort of a sense that I would learn a lot. I had some, some uh, messages to, lo- to deliver in terms of the urgency, because as you know, I've got a lot of background in the world of innovation. And so I can, I have a very good sense, you know, nobody has a perfect sense of what machine intelligence will do to every routine job in our economy, how it's changing the requirements for informed citizenship, you know, and it is a tidal wave of change. And so, so when I talk to audiences, I love to sort of say, look, this is really important, pay attention, because we need to get this right for our kids. But I also said, hey, if I travel that much, I'll probably learn something along the way. Boy, I had no idea how much I'd learn. And so that immersion, you know, I visited 200 schools, I had maybe 100 community forums, I probably had 1000 meetings, Met with everybody, you know, from, you know, governor, secretary of education for the U.S. all the way down to lots and lots of, and, and I would say this, inspiring classroom teachers. And I said, man, people need to know what I saw if you actually take the time to listen to what our innovative teachers are doing in the classroom. And so I didn't start the trip thinking I'd write a book, but by the time I got done, I said, boy, I need to, I need to capture this and communicate to other people 
just what school could be if we trusted and listened to, you know, our teachers. So, so it really, I mean, your mindset wasn't to go out and, and write a book. It was really a continuation of the work you did with the film and just trying to discover, you know, more best practices in the classroom. Exactly. And, you know, I would get, you know, I, I did get a lot of feedback. As you know, from the film, we profile one particular school. We're very careful in the films to say, don't copy it. You know, like this is what works for them. You need to do what works for you. So this is an example of a completely reinvented or reimagined school, but this is not the model. This is a model that works for them. I, I also, a lot of people say, oh, is this just, you know, like, are you another one of these, uh, you know, well-off guys that thinks that the answer to all of our school problems are charter schools? And High Tech High is a charter school, but that's the last thing I think. You know, I mean, High Tech High started when charter schools were, I think, performing a very important role in education, which is some wide open spaces for people to try something really different. You know, as you know, that movement has largely been co-opted by the test and measure crowd. You know, if we can just fund some charter schools, drive some better test score performance from our students, rub it in the faces of neighboring, you know, public schools, isn't that a contribution? And, and obviously that's, that doesn't help things. And so, so you know, I, I really felt like out of that experience, I needed to do more to have a deeper understanding because a lot of it's easy to be an armchair quarterback when it comes to education. And, you know, I still probably am an armchair quarterback, but I'm at least a lot more informed armchair quarterback because I think too many people, you know, do a few visits to schools for photo ops and then come away and say, boy, I understand everything about it. But at the end of the day, they think school today should be pretty much like it was when they went to school. The world's totally different. Schools need to be totally different and an informed perspective of the various ways that teachers and principals can run with things and make these schools so compelling. I think that's the message we need to hear. And, and you know, one of the things that uh, is a little unique in the American education system is the fact that all 50 states kind of do their own thing. So we're really kind of all over the place. And I, I've always been fascinated when I talk to superintendents, principals, school leaders from other states and try to pick their brain a little bit. Uh, this idea of, of how is school, a typical school day, say in California, different than one in Kentucky? Do schools look very similar around the country or, or what was the biggest takeaway there? Well, I think, you know, one of the things is there's sort of the level and then the meta level. So at the level of what kids are doing in school, I write about and I have pretty much a compelling or inspiring example from every state. You know, what they're doing in their actual school day, you know, at, at a surface level, there's no rhyme or reason. You know, I have kindergarten kids in Fort Wayne, Indiana, designing robots and kids in, uh, you know, poor area of outside of Charleston, South Carolina, using the school garden to learn all sorts of amazing things. And high school kids in Albuquerque doing social media campaigns for a soccer team or kids in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, you know, solving all sorts of problems in their community. And you say, oh, my gosh, you know, like there's no consistency. This is an, an enormous hodgepodge. What do we make of this? But what I hope I've done in the book is to show that the consistency is not at the actual challenges that these kids are taking on, but there's a very important high-level unifying set of principles because these are kids that are deeply learning what they're taking on. They are afforded the agency to direct and run with their own learning. They are absolutely developing competencies that will serve them well in a world of innovation. And the most important thing I think is these kids have a real sense of purpose in their school day. 
you know, you talk to the kids in the places that are really knocking the ball out of the park and you ask these kids, why are you working on this? Their, their answer is never, well, that's what I was told to do. Their answer is something that reflects their curiosity or their ambition or their goal to make their world better. And, and you start to say, what if that were the high level goal we had in our schools? What would, what, what would school look like if we said the most important thing is not for kids to eke out a 0.3% gain on some standardized test score, generally, by the way, on material, particularly in the math area, on things that even scientists and engineers don't use. I mean, that's a very small ball view of what we could do in our schools. What if we said we're going to help kids understand how they could capitalize on their own talents and passions and determination, make effective use of support from their community, and start creating and implementing initiatives to make their world better? I mean, what would school be like if that were the overarching guiding principle? And that's what you see in these examples I show. And in all cases, these are really, really amazing teachers, not outstanding because of the way they deliver and lecture, but because of the way they challenge their students. But they get support from their principal, they get support from their superintendent. And it just sort of makes this point, if we trust our classroom teachers, support them, let them do what they enter the profession to do, you know, to engage and inspire their kids on important challenges. You know, these differences are not 0.3% swings on standardized test scores. These are the differences between kids launched well into life versus a lot of kids are going to be hurting if they just come out of school conditioned to jump through hoops. And, you know, we talked a little bit uh, off air before we started the podcast about two, two states in particular, North Dakota and Hawaii, that you really found some innovative things happening there. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, when I visited 50 states, um, you know, I, I just came away with lots of impressions. And out of that, I felt like if I could work with two kind of smaller agile states that were quite different and in some small way help them really advance learning across all schools, not a few schools, um, that could begin to help us understand nationally what we could do. And you know, for various reasons, you know, when I was in those states, just kind of astounding things happened. And I sensed a deeply collaborative culture in each of those two states. I found lots and lots of really remarkable, innovative teachers. I sort of made offers. I said, if I can be at all of help, let me know. And that's led to something, I think, pretty consequential. I've been to North Dakota now 10 times in the last two and a half years, Hawaii six times in the last, you know, 20 months. You know, I make grants to the states selectively for strategic initiatives. And if you go to those states, and, and I am a bit player in this, it's really the, the classroom teachers that are leading the way, great support from all aspects uh, in the education system. But there's, I think these, these are states that can have every potential of out Finland, Finland leap, easy for me to say, <clears throat> you know, surpassing Finland in a five-year time period. I'm going to say it that way. And, and if they can do that, it sort of could be a really inspiring pair of examples for the rest of the country. And, you know, my guess is when you, ever, when you walk into these schools uh, at various states, you get a, a warm reception because people uh, are very interested in making their school systems better. Um, what kind of reception do you get as you travel around? Do people run up to you and, and share ideas? Do they thank you for the work that you've done with the film? Or kind of give me what are two or three things that people just can't wait to tell you when they see you? Well, I, th I think a lot of the things I have to say, and you know, the film and the book show it, don't come as a surprise to teachers. Don't come as a surprise to principals. I mean, I don't feel like 
my role here is to show people something they've never thought of because our teachers understand, you know, they know the difference between really challenging kids with things that help them learn things that are important versus, you know, kind of checking off the boxes to prepare them for state mandated tests or, you know, college admissions applications or whatever. So I think my, my contribution is because I have no ax to grind. I mean, I'm a, a business guy, but I was in venture capital for years. You can Google my track record. I, I did quite well in venture capital. I think I understand the world of innovation. I think nobody can really predict what it'll be like in 10 years, but I've got a decent perspective for you know, understanding just how fast things are going to change. And so I think when I go to states, particularly when I meet with you know, uh, legislators or top people in the departments of education, I'm able to say, look, I have no dog in this hunt. I'm not, you know, I'm not a teacher. I'm not, I'm not anybody. I'm the guy from out of town just telling you that if your goal in life is to drive classrooms to produce slightly better test scores, you are not serving your kids well and you are demoralizing your teachers. And I know you don't wake up every morning saying, what can I do to ruin the future of our kids? But a lot of times your policies are doing exactly that. And I think that's, I mean, I hope that that's a contribution. I hope that can be powerful because I feel like too many business people have sort of just advocated for same old, same old, you know, higher test scores, more kids graduating, more kids off and running in four-year college without looking beyond what that actually means when you slam down on schools and say, oh my gosh, you know, your test scores were off 1.5% this year, you know, code red, you know, something really horrible is happening. Or, oh, this district produced scores that were 0.7% higher. Wow, isn't that just the most amazing of all, you know, signs of progress? You know, test scores show us a little bit. I think in the early grades, they're important as thoughtful diagnostics to make sure kids aren't mastering learning how to learn skills. So I'm not completely, you know, uh, uh, in the camp of obliterating the role of of standardized tests. But we, what do we do? The higher you get up in grades, the more weight we put on them and the higher the stakes we attach to them. That makes no sense to me. You know, as you travel to all 50 states, first of all, that sounds exhausting to me, but I know that you're a world traveler and you, and you love to travel. But as you, as you travel from state to state uh, and go about that process, uh, what were some of the stories along, along those highways and uh, some of those things that you're really going to cherish throughout your lifetime, people that you've met? Well, so many. And, and you know, as I said, when I started the trip, I had, I think, a degree, probably a relatively high degree of respect for teachers. I would often note that, you know, like I would, when my kids were really young, I would coach their soccer or baseball teams. And so I'd have, you know, a dozen kids with me for an hour, there by choice doing something they like. And I'd get home and I'd say to my wife, God, that was exhausting. And, and I'd say, like, how do teachers do it? I mean, how do they do it? It's kind of remarkable. But, but as I traveled, I just went from, you know, respecting them to saying, oh my gosh, these are the, these people are heroes, you know, and particularly when you think, you know, of the difficult mission of having to teach kids something that the kids have no interest in, where if they ask the question, when am I ever going to use this in life? The honest answer is you probably won't. And you're told do that day after day, period after period, and be held accountable to standardized test scores associated with that topic and, and manage these kids. 
you know, like, like don't let them have a voice in what they want to do. Don't let them take on something they think is important that will help them in life, but try to make them learn logarithms. You know, it's like, you know, when's the last time any adult used a logarithm? I mean, you know, like, honestly, we could do so much better than that. And so, so my takeaway, which is, I think, the subtitle of the book, Insights and Inspiration from Teachers Across America, is, you know, we need to rethink what we do in education. It's the one area of U.S. economy or society or whatever where non-experts tell the experts what to do. You know, why do we do it that way? That doesn't, that's another thing that makes no sense to me. And we also talked a little bit uh, before you came on about some of the great work going on in the state of Kentucky. Um, after working in Illinois the last, well, 25 years as a teacher and school administrator in the state of Illinois, I'm now working in higher education in central Kentucky. And I know we have some wonderful things going on here. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, you know, what was so interesting, I write about this in my book, is that Kentucky shows what can be done at a state level when people come together and work collaboratively. And I tell the funny story when I, my first trip there, and I'm really bad with names, you know, I'll meet somebody and I just blank on their name. And so, you know, for the first couple of days, people kept talking about Kara. And I kept thinking, oh my gosh, I have somehow blanked on Kara, who must have helped set up my trip and is doing incredible things in education in Kentucky. And of course, you know, finally, finally, and I think Justin Batham, you know, like, help me with this. I realized CARA is the Kentucky Education Reform Act. And you realize that in the 1980s, Kentucky said, wait, we're way down in all the standard measures. Measures that I think made more sense in the 1980s than they make today. And the state rallied around an important initiative and an aspirational goal of really moving their schools ahead. And it was really led by teachers, principals, and superintendents. And Kentucky, it was really miraculous what Kentucky achieved. And what I took away as well, and this is from meetings, they were, they're just incredible people working on the education front in Kentucky. And I met so many, but you know, like, you know, and, and feel like I have lifetime friends with people like Barbara Bellissimo and Carmen Coleman and Justin, and, and just have great respect for what they're doing. But, but I felt as I traveled there that people had a real sense of, okay, what we did in the 80s was great, but, but we're now in a different universe. We're in a world of innovation, we need to rethink what we're doing in our schools. We need to elevate once again, and we can do it. And so probably been to Kentucky five times in the last two and a half years. And, um, I, and I'm really just a, a cheerleader. I, you know, I think I've made a few selective grants to try to help things and just think that there's some really impressive things going on across the state. You know, one thing we haven't really hit on, and you and I have had several conversations uh, over the last couple of years, but... If you think about higher education and the role that that we play in teacher education programs, our principal uh, programs, um, what should our role be in higher education in trying to change this this idea of what schools could be? I, I have a lot of thoughts on that. I mean, you know, on the edu- on the colleges of education, I hear too many times about people who are in these you know, classes and they're sitting in a lecture hall taking notes. And you know, if we're going to prepare our teachers to um, conduct classroom experiences that are far more dynamic, more agile, more aligned with, what, with bringing out the skills and competencies kids need to have, we need to start in our schools of education. And so the second thing is I, I keep looking for schools of education that offer courses. The, to me, and this is, again, a peanut gallery opinion, but 
the single most important course we could teach to our, to our budding educators is, how do you change an existing school? And, and I had dinner a couple months ago with the dean of, of a very, very noteworthy graduate school of education. And I asked him, how many schools of education are you aware of across the country that offer classes, you know, a course on how do you change an existing school? His answer was, I'm not sure there are any. Um, so I think there are some things that we could do there. I think we could offer more dynamic, more agile professional development in the field. Um, and, and, you know, I wish I could say otherwise, but a lot of teachers on their list of things that they'd love to see, I, I think they feel they're not getting the right sort of educational resources, both while they're in college and then once they're out in the classroom to help them do the kind of, you know, bold, audacious things that they really would love to do that could really help their kids skyrocket. So that's one point. I think on, on the higher ed front in general, you know, and I write about this, I mean, I think the college application has an enormous impact on the degree of innovation in our K through 12 schools. And so I'm supporting uh, this thing called the Coalition for Access, which is 130 top colleges that opens a door to, uh, to reviewing digital portfolios from students instead of just making it around, you know, test scores and grade point average and the number of AP courses. And, and they need to do that. I mean, I feel like the sooner colleges start looking at real examples of student work, which by the way, is the way a, a school of art and design would, would proceed. They're not looking for, you know, somebody's grade in an art history class. They want to see your portfolio or an architecture school, even sports. You know, they're not looking for somebody's grade in a PE class. They want to see tapes and validate directly what, what this kid's capable of. In, in a digital world, you can start showing for kids across a lot of different subject areas what they're capable of doing. And, and I think that if we changed admissions, we would change an enormous amount in K through 12 pretty darn quickly. And I, I couldn't agree more. And, and as we kind of circle back to the, the K-12 conversation, um, you know, my experience, uh, just like yours, uh, at the local level, people aren't really afraid of change. They want to do things different. They want to be innovative. They want to try new things. But a lot of people just don't know how to get started. So I guess it's a two-part question. Uh, number one, what, what's the greatest barrier that you have found to change if, as you've traveled the country? And then what advice would you have for uh, a school leader out there that, that wants to make some changes? How can they uh, kind of jump in and begin that process? Well, the, the one observation I have is that if you take a school, it's a lot easier for 10 teachers to innovate than just one. If you take a community, it's a lot easier for a half a dozen schools to innovate than just one. You know, when it's just one, you kind of hang out there as the outlier, the alternative, the quirky or weird, the, you know, the teacher whose classroom isn't in control or the, the school for those kids. So I, I'm a big believer in co-innovation, where schools draw on, inspire each other, share their insights, recognizing that not everything you try is going to work. So that's one observation. Um, I'd say to anybody that's, that's thinking about doing this, I, I, I feel like it's, it's not an option. You know, I've got this um, video that my team is working on that we're almost ready to release on the future of work. And we just show everything that's happening, you know, in, in jobs we define as blue collar jobs, jobs we define as white collar jobs, any job that has a degree of routine in it, pattern recognition in it, you know, where you can write a job spec and that describes pretty much what the job is doing. Those jobs are going to be, if not entirely gone, they will be dramatically different in 10 years. And so 
when you sit down with a kindergarten kid and you know that by the time they get out of school, there will not be a single routine job left in the economy. To me, this isn't an option. This isn't a nice to have that we would like to do something different in schools. It's a have to have, you know, like, like we're not serving these kids well. And so I feel like the, particularly the leaders, and I'm a big fan of what the superintendents can do and what principals can do, but sort of conveying a consistent message that combines urgency, because I believe there's acute urgency here, but urgency and possibility that, that shows, you know, in Kentucky, you know, somebody that wants to get really fired up about what a school district can do should go to eminence. Look at what Buddy Barry's doing. You know, I, was, I spent a day there. I couldn't find a bored kid in, in all of the schools. You know, I kept saying, Buddy, where, show, let's find a bored kid. Let's just go try to find a kid who doesn't seem excited to be here. I didn't find one. You know, and, and he's kind of showing people, and that's not the only example in Kentucky. There are lots where when you get these kids excited, when they can't wait to get to school, when they're working on things they think are important, you know, an enormous amount of learning takes place. And, you know, I read about the guys in Cedar Rapids who said the buckets don't fill at exactly the same pace, but they fill a lot faster. And some of them get really full with things that are going to help these kids go forward in life in a really fulfilling and, you know, sort of sustainable way. And so I, I feel like that celebration, you know, drawing on others in your community and sort of, sort of recognizing that we will all run forward and in different ways, there isn't a necessarily a right or a wrong to it, but, but learning from each other, not being freaked out by something that doesn't quite work. And I'm a big fan. We've got this, you know, the, the, the film is great. You know, the way where we're seeing districts make enormous progress is where a superintendent gets back to me and says, I made everybody on my school board watch most likely to succeed. I had all my principals and faculty watch it. I invited parents all over the district to watch it. Um, the books, I think, really get people, I think, most likely to succeed. One, one person said that the book, Most Likely to Succeed, does a really great job of saying what's wrong with school. And my new book, What School Could Be, does a great job of saying what's right with school. And, and so I think understanding, boy, we can do this. We're not only could we do this, we're doing it. We've got these existence, you know, classrooms and schools in our community. Let's draw on them. Let's not replicate them exactly but let's let's each benefit each other by understanding this this is what i took away and i say the final thing is when a district or even a school gets back to me and says we've seen the light we're changing everything starting next week you know i would say that's going to be a disaster and then two months later they say that was a disaster you know you just try to change everything and you know people don't want to do it that way you know no i always say nobody ever won a marathon with one 26 mile step and so I'm a huge fan of small steps leading to big change. And our website has some suggestions for where you don't tell every teacher you've got to do something different, but you invite certain teachers to try something and then share that back to the other teachers in a faculty meeting and see if others want to dive in and try it. Because, you know, the schools I visit, they, in any school, there are some, some set of the teachers, I don't know if it's 10%, 25%, that are either already doing really innovative things or itching to do it. If they have permission to do it and the other teachers realize you're not going to get wailed on or it's not just the trend of the day or the week, there are a lot of teachers that will kind of step up and do some really interesting things. And if, if we can get two-thirds of our teachers, you know, sort of doing more, you know, as I say, more chaotic 
you know, classrooms where kids are, you know, kind of largely setting their own agenda and running in their own way and creating great initiatives. And the other third aren't. That's not a bad model. I mean, that's a diverse set of learning experiences. And I think, you know, let's celebrate that instead of saying every teacher's got to do things the exact same way. And I'm so glad you mentioned Buddy Barry, a uh, superintendent here in Kentucky. He's really doing amazing things. He's a ball of fire. I mean, very passionate guy. And, uh, you know, if you get the chance to ever go visit uh, the Eminence School District, uh, I think you'll be amazed at some of the things that are happening there. So, Ted, as we kind of uh, wind down this, this episode of uh, the Reimagined Schools podcast, can you just share some closing thoughts on the book and, and maybe kind of just give us, um, you know, what is your vision for education? What is your goal as you continue to, to go out and, and try to be an advocate for change? But the, the point I'd lead with, and it's sort of the bad news part of what I have to say, which is the urgency is sky high. And I'll go to a lot of education conferences, and the sense I get is kind of the same as if I go to a farmer's market. You know, everybody's friendly, everybody's nice, they look at what other people are doing, they kind of say, oh, you crocheted that? Wow, that's really interesting. You know, and they pick it up and look at it, and then they, they go off and running. And, and I'm not saying that in a critical way. I, I feel like... The conferences I want to go to are kind of this would have the same mindset of of the planning room when we know knew we needed to take the beaches for D-Day. Because, you know, if in fact I'm right, and I am sure I am right, that if by the time any kindergartner is out of school, there will not be a single routine job left in the economy. If that kindergarten kid goes through 12 to 16 years of school where they are memorizing content, replicating low-level procedures, and following instructions, they are in for a world of hurt. So that's the first thing, the urgency. But then the, the excitement of what happens when you start connecting school to the real world, when you start letting kids create and invent initiatives that connect their learning to making their world better, I, I think that people get so excited. There is this aspirational view of what we can do in our schools if we trust our teachers to lead the way. And so my advice would, in a state like yours, if, if I were sitting down with the governor, and I've tried, or sitting down with your commissioner of education, I'd say you need to set the right conditions to unleash this kind of innovation, this kind of, of profoundly different learning experiences across all your schools. Because if our kids are headed into a world that's dynamic and innovative as adults, which they are, we need to model that in our schools. And if it makes it harder for us to assess it, if we're gonna to have to do more thoughtful assessments and rely more on auditing, so be it. it you know, and I find that when we let teachers lead the way on accountability, they actually will set really high standards for themselves. But instead of imposing 20th century obsolete metrics on schools, I think we need to be trusting teachers to help us reach a more informed and authentic place when it comes to how do we assess progress in our students' progress in our schools. And we can do that. Well, once again, Ted, thank you so much for being here. I've always been a big fan of yours, and I will help however I can to spread the word. Uh, so go out and buy the book. I can tell you that I will use it in the courses that I teach in higher education. I think it should be uh, a book that should be used throughout uh, not only higher education, but if you're a, a superintendent, principal, any educator out there that's looking for innovative ideas for change, uh, this book and most likely to succeed are certainly where you want to start. So with that, I want to thank everyone for listening to this very first edition of the Reimagine Schools podcast. And always remember, you can continue the conversation 
with the reimagined P12 hashtag. Until next time, we're going to keep reimagining, Ted. Thank you, Greg, and thanks for all you're doing. It's great. Thank you.